We've been hearing so much about AI and chatbots, you know, ChatGPT, of course. Yeah. And it seems like everyone's invested in it and, and maybe even too much a, a little bit. Um, you know, we, we've had the chatbot for many years and there's over a hundred other companies that, that have chatbots that are available. And I don't know about you, but I get frustrated pretty quickly when I try to interact with one. It's yeah. pretty easy to get into a loop. It's pretty easy to get to a situation where the chatbot doesn't understand what you want and asks you to rephrase the question or something of that nature. Our approach is to use the chatbot as a stepping stone to get that to get the human to human interaction. So very quickly, many of our customers and how they configure the chatbot, they get it to offer the, the person communicating with it to speak with a person. Welcome to another episode of The Dirt, sponsored by Orchid Black, your strategic partner for driving growth and realizing the highest value in your business. I am your host, Jim Barnish, and I'm committed to digging deep into the often untold stories of the trials and triumphs in building a successful business. Our guest today is Tomer Azenkot, the CEO of V24, a leading provider of intelligent, conversational, and customer-centric solutions for commerce and support. In today's episode, we hone in on Tomer's journey taking over the reins as CEO, reducing cash burn while keeping the culture intact, shifting to a customer-centric journey, and the state of digital customer engagement, including all of this AI buzz automation let's go but before we dive in if you are getting a lot out of our content please subscribe to the dirt on your favorite podcast platform now let's jump in and get our hands dirty all right tomer welcome to the dirt thanks for having me jim i'm excited to have this conversation absolutely me too so let's let's start off with your uh with the uh the origin story if you will um what led you, what was the path that, that led you to becoming the CEO of V24? Sure. Well, being a CEO is something that I've wanted to do for a long time. Um, I'm, I'm now just about to celebrate my six-month anniversary at V24, so still new. And um, I actually happened to land this role a little bit earlier than I expected to. So if you were to ask me a year ago, I would have probably expected to have at least another role or maybe even two roles before I get to a CEO role. But in my last company, um, I was the chief revenue officer, did that for nearly four years. And the company grew from just around zero to uh, nearly 5 million in ARR. So we had a really good run. I learned a lot, um, built a really great team. And uh, the couple roles before that were both at larger publicly traded companies where I managed large teams, um, sales teams. Uh, mostly I was a regional general manager and then, and then a sales manager for the North American region at a larger company. So I, I had the experience at the larger companies and I knew what I liked and what I liked a little bit less doing those roles. I went through the early growth stage of a Series A company and, and learned a lot in terms of how to build the team and kind of came, fell into my lap this opportunity to come into a, a company that's already established, um, has been around for more than 10 years, but struggling a little bit to really grow and really break out of the early stage, if you will, when it comes to growth. 
mm-hmm. and my background in sales and in growth is what really attracted the board to bring me on. So for for others that are in a uh, a similar situation where you know they they may think the road to CEO is a few years out, but maybe there's an opportunity for them to make the jump from CXO to CEO. What 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 were some of the things that you uh, that some of the thought process that made you choose this opportunity as the right one for your first CEO gig? So one one of the things that I learned and was really enlightening when I was searching for this for this gig six months ago is that it's absolutely all about the network. Um, it, it was it was eye opening. It was an incredible learning opportunity for me. So I I probably applied to two dozen or so roles that I thought I was a really good fit for. Um, some of them were kind of like VP sales, so like sales leader for early stage companies. Um, a few COO and, and maybe also a couple CEO roles. And I'm not exaggerating, not a single one got back to me. So it was over a two or three month period. Um, part of that period, I was still working. Part of the period, I was kind of in between. And it was it was incredibly frustrating and shocking, really, because I thought I have a lot to offer and, and you know, very strong personal value proposition. So I, I had that as as kind of one part of my search. And then the other part, had the absolute opposite result. So I reached out to some friends, um, some that I've worked with in the past, some that I know from the venture capital world. And within a couple of days, I was inundated by the amount of opportunities that came my way. Uh, hmm. A good friend and a mentor, mentor who runs a, a small a boutique venture capital firm sent out my resume to five other of his venture friends. And literally within hours, I had a dozen interviews lined up. And after a couple of days, I had to start turning them down because there was there were too many. I couldn't manage it. So I had the kind of two polar opposite experiences. And it, it really taught me that, especially at this level, and if you are interested in, in making that step up, especially where your past experience won't necessarily pave its way naturally for you into the role, it's all about the relationships you have and people that you've worked with in the past that really know you and know what you're capable of doing. So... Huge, huge um, eye-opening experience for me. Yeah, it's very cool. And and what made uh, what 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 put V twenty four at the top of that? There were a number of things. So first of all, there was urgency. Um, the, the board um, had replaced the prior CEO, and w- we needed results quickly. And that was very exciting to me. I I much rather you know jump into the deep end and start start working really hard rather than taking time for a handover and doing things very methodically. I like, I like the messiness of, of getting really stuck in. So that was one thing. The product and the existing customers seemed really good to me. And, and one thing, and we can, we can, of course, dive deeper into this. I came in thinking, and I still believe this, that V24 first released its product many years before the market was ready for it. So yeah. even today, I think we're still a little bit early, especially in North America, which is an interesting dynamic. So in, in Europe and, and the UK, where we have a majority of our customers, um, our technology and our peers are quite ubiquitous. But here in North America, it's just now getting started. So everything is a green field for us. And um, I, I could see that as I was doing my due diligence, learning about the company and seeing that the existing customers have stuck with V24 for many years. There was very little churn. And, and the fact that the technology, and again, we can dig in, 
it just makes sense. And it really begs the question, why doesn't every company use a solution like ours? So let's let's talk a little bit about that. What is what is a, the the solution that you guys offer? Yeah, so we provide customer engagement tools for websites. Um, we've been mostly focused in the past on consumer facing websites, so B two C companies, and predominantly in high consideration um, retail, so uh, luxury goods, automotive, furniture. Uh, the way I think of it is there are two types of use cases that really make sense for us. Uh, but maybe actually I'll take a step back. We, um, I'll, I'll describe the product first. So everyone's familiar with chatbots. We offer a chatbot as well. But the real core of our solution is being able to take that engagement with a customer from an automated one to a human-to-human one with either text or video chat. Mm-hmm. Both of which can can be initiated instantly from the website or from an email. So you're browsing through a site, you want to understand better about the product or service, you can instantly begin a video chat with someone from the company side. And then we also couple that with technology that enables co-browsing. So I could share my screen with you, you can share your screen with me, we can collaborate on the same screen when it comes to filling out a form, for example, or or maybe moving products to a cart or browsing through a catalog. And and then we also have a scheduling software, kind of similar to Calendly, which everyone's familiar with, um, except it all lives within that same suite of products. So the real focus for us is enabling more customer engagement. And and like I said before, it's the human-to-human engagement where perhaps the AI-led or the bot technologies are not as appropriate or not as relevant. So that, that's that's a technology um, and the use cases that we're focused on. So there are two two main use cases. One is a sales one where we're trying to sell a product or a service and, and the human-to-human engagement is part of that. So it's a salesperson that a consumer would be speaking with. And the other is a customer service or customer support where you're trying to offer support for, for a product or service and, and that's where the engagement lives. And the video comes into play when seeing the product itself adds value. So if you're out to buy a luxury watch, for example, you may want to see it on the person's wrist. You may want to see what it looks like. Um, so many of our customers will have a secondary camera that has really high resolution and is pointing downward, for example. And then the other use case is we're seeing the person adds a lot of value. So for the same reason, we're using Zoom for all of our conference calls today and not no longer the telephone. Seeing the person helps build trust. It helps um, communicate better, and and that's where the video comes into play. So when when you say that you guys all were and in many cases still are in the U.S. early to market, what is what does that mean? Un- unique to V twenty four. So V twenty four originally was a UK based company. So the the headquarters were, were transferred over to the Boston area where I'm located um, several years ago. And a majority of the customers today are in the UK. And we, we work, for example, with, I think, the largest furniture retailer, or maybe second largest. Um, we work with a very large UK-based um, jewelry chain that has uh, dozens and dozens of stores. Um, and in the US, what we're seeing is that these the equivalents of these brands are, are not quite offering video communication on their websites yet. 
there are mm-hmm. some that do, and we do have customers in the U.S. But when when you compare it in the in the U.K., it's hard to find one that doesn't offer person to person video chat on their website. And here, it's hard to find one that does. So I, I think we're just you know three, four, five years behind, and within within months or a couple of years, we'll start seeing more and more of it. Um, there were a couple of lo- big launches over the past six months, which actually also prompted me to think that this that this technology is going to be adopted quite rapidly. Um, TurboTax launched a service. So as you're filling out your taxes, you can connect with a tax expert instantly with video. Um, Best Buy launched a similar service as well. So if you're you know shopping for a television, you see one that you like, you can connect with, a, with an associate on the store floor who is literally standing next to the TV that you're evaluating and they could show, show you what it looks like through their mobile device. So we, we are starting to see it, but it's just much more common in the UK and, and in Western Europe. And why do, you, why do you think that is? I, I don't have a good answer for that. I, I don't know. I, I think in most, most e-commerce technologies, the US, I think, is ahead of, of the markets across the pond. Yeah. Um, I don't think we're less, we're resistant to video here. Um, certainly when it comes to, you know, the corporate communication space, I think we adopted Zoom and Teams and uh, WebEx very quickly. So I'm, I don't have an answer. I don't know why that is. Yeah, that's interesting. Very interesting. What um, what other trends in the market um have been, or or do you see that will be affecting V24's growth? So it's it's very interesting. I know we were chatting over email um uh, yesterday. We've been hearing so much about AI and chatbots. You know, ChatGPT, of course, yeah. and. It seems like everyone's invested in it and, and maybe even too much a, a little bit. Um, you know, we, we've had the chatbot for many years and there's over a hundred other companies that, that have chatbots that are available. And I don't know about you, but I get frustrated pretty quickly when I try to interact with one. It's yeah. pretty easy to get into a loop. It's pretty easy to get to a situation where the chatbot doesn't understand what you want and asks you to rephrase the question or something of that nature. Our approach is to use the chatbot as a stepping stone to get that to get the human to human interaction. So very quickly, many of our customers and how they configure the chatbot, they get it to offer the the person communicating with it to speak with a person. So maybe if you're looking, for example, to let's say if it's a retail um, brand, you're looking um, to track your order. The chatbot can co-browse you to the order tracking page. So if you ask the chatbot, "Where's my order?" it will take you to the co- to the um, order tracking page, and you can input your order number in there to track where your order is. But anything more more complicated than that, you're probably much better off speaking with a person. Mm-hmm. You'll have your your issue solved faster. And then from the company, from the brand standpoint, we see much higher average order values. We see much higher conversion rates. In some cases. You know, over fifty percent greater order value when a human is involved in the purchase process. So it's it's in the interest of the brand to get that person to speak with someone as soon as possible, just like you would when a person walks into a store. You want the store associate to interact with them as early as possible in their shopping experience. So we we very much like to say we're helping bring the in person experience online. 
that, that's yeah. how we think about it. And um, the, the more your website can do that, I think the better you're off. So in, in your opinion, what's the, uh, this is a challenging question. Uh, what is the perfect mix between AI chatbot automation, whatever you want to call the non-human version um, and human intervention when it comes to customer engagement? Yeah, that's it's actually something we think about a lot. So I'm sure, yeah, I think, <laughs> probably wake up thinking I, about it. <laughs> I I think where, where where my mind is at right now is that people are different. You maybe prefer to interact with a chatbot. I may prefer um, when I'm browsing on a website to schedule a virtual appointment for later. A third person may prefer may prefer to chat now with video, two way video, with with a store associate. Um, so what's important is to give people the options and people will self-select into the path that best fits what they want to get done and best fits their personality or what they're, how they're seeking to get it done. So giving the options is important. I think scheduling is incredibly important. So when, when agents are busy or when it's off hours, you probably want to give an option in addition to a bot, you probably want to give an option to schedule some time for later, either in person or virtually. And and the instant nature of the video chat or of text chat is incredibly important because I think an, a commonly overlooked risk when it comes to any type of business, you know, whether it be a, a SaaS company like us or or let's say a big box retailer, you don't want your prospective customer to connect with your competition first. You want to make sure you have that first opportunity because obviously they're much more likely to buy from the first person they speak with. So giving that opportunity to connect instantly and not, you know, gather information and then go to the store or leave information in the contact form and expect that a salesperson follows up later in an email to try to coordinate a meeting two weeks later. That's just a bad and very antiquated experience. We we really want to emphasize the ability to connect instantly. And whether it be text or bot or one-way video where the, the consumer or the buyer is not on video or, or two-way, any of the above works well, as long as it fits the person who's, who's buying. So can you, um, I'm sure you have a lot of them, but can, is there one success story that stands out where the integration of AI and automation just greatly improved a client's customer engagement? Yeah, there's something recently that we started doing. So we added um, integration. This is really big in Europe and in the UK, uh, integration with WhatsApp. Hmm. So there is kind of an in-between where it's not scheduling a meeting or an appointment for later. It's not having instant communication right now, but rather it's you're on the website and then you kind of transfer the communication over to SMS, to WhatsApp, to uh, Facebook Messenger, um, any any of the of the asynchronous chat tools, and combining that with a bot is really powerful as well. So maybe you're you're on the website, you're interested in whatever it is the website offers. You you put in you initiate that that communication. You leave, you effectively leave your phone number, and then you continue having the chat whether it be with a bot or with a person, doesn't matter. But you continue to have that chat um, on your own schedule. And it can be two minutes later, it can be two hours later, it doesn't really matter. Uh, so that, that's, that's really effective and efficient 
for both sides, right? It's, it's efficient for the agent who can handle multiple conversations or even delegate to a bot, maybe parts of the conversation. And, and we've seen that with a number of our customers, especially when it comes to customer service inquiries, where the main goal is to direct them to the right place and, and to support them and to, fe- to give the person a f- the feeling that they're being supported. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's really interesting. Does does any of that um do you think that's like kind of the key of the difference between US or in and the UK and Europe is you know, we whenever we want to engage automation here, we try immediately to have it solve and everything end to end. And and that that mix of human and automated interaction is you know, maybe that's something that Europe and the UK are just leaders in in general, less about the video itself, but more about the blended interaction, because there's a bit more of an empathy within that culture than there is ours. Or, or what do you like, is there, is there anything that stands out in terms of the differences between those, those two, uh, those two cultures as we're, as we're continuing to talk about this? That's Yeah. You're raising an interesting point. I haven't thought about it, but I think, I think they're certainly more conservative, especially in, in the kind of old country, yeah. uh, old European countries to adopt new technology, right? So perhaps here we're quicker to adopt the AI, which in turn makes us slower to adopt the more trivial solution, which is getting a human to speak with another human. Right. Um, so that, that could certainly be it. Um, there, there's certainly much more AI here than there is over there. So uh, maybe, you know, it's a zero sum game in the end of the day. So maybe we just don't have, don't have the capacity here to take on, um, you know, video chat when it has to do with a person to person. We're looking for, you know, there are many companies that are also um, introducing voice AI to automate the call center, contact center worlds where, you know, we're trying to get people off the phone and onto video in some cases, there is the competing approach of having voice AI instead of the people on the phone. So it's still, you're still calling the 800 number when you, you know, want to fight with your internet service provider or something like that. And instead of getting someone who's typically offshore, you, you may be getting a, a voice AI instead to, right. to talk with. Um, right. I, I would that? argue that, that the problems will be resolved much better. Not, not all use cases, but in some of the use cases issues or opportunities would have better resolutions if it's a person and you can, you know, look them in their in the eye and you're much less likely to get angry and yell at a person when you're looking at them compared to someone who maybe has a, a little bit of an accent and you, and you don't see them. You're just on the phone with them. Well, yeah, especially if the AI version runs out of context and forgets who it is in the middle of that sentence. <laughs> Yeah, there's certainly a lot of slip ups, but I, I think I think the solutions are good. Like, it's, yeah, they are. I'm just messing around. It's it, it's yeah. It's I think we're pretty close to not knowing whether we're speaking with an AI or not. Yeah, but again, yeah. it's it's not good for everything. If you're, I don't know, if you're buying um, you're buying your significant other, let's say, a piece of jewelry, and you need to, you need the, the advice from, you know, the let's say the, the someone who's more similar to your significant other. I'm being careful with my words. Um, <laughs> you, you, you probably want to speak with a person. You probably don't want to speak with an AI, right? So, and, and it would certainly help to, to have that same experience that you have when you're in person 
rather than on the phone. Yeah, that's fair. How, how do you um, how do you envision the future of of video chat in customer engagement, or you know, the future of where you guys are headed? With all, I mean, there's so many trends around AI and ML, and so much hype, but also so much, so many real use cases, right? Like where. Where do you see all of this uh, customer interaction going um, in the next couple of years? I, I think, um, I hope we're, we're able to close the gap between the experience you have in person versus online. Right now, there's a, in some cases, there's a huge gap. Um, we just, we had this big event yesterday. Um, we're working with um, a very large international car manufacturer and they launched this special edition, very high-end SUV where Mm. they had a limited, they had, I think, 1,000 units that they sold globally. And they're going across 10 cities. In each city, they're doing a two-day event in which the people who already have ordered this, you know, $300,000 SUV, they can come in and see it. So they they don't actually know what they ordered. Um, They can come in and see it. And those who live too far away from the location, so for example, there it was in London yesterday and today, and um, I think the next location is Miami and then New York and Tokyo. So if, if you aren't in one of those cities, you're calling in and you're calling in with video. So giving that experience with, with a camera, the, the representative from the car manufacturer is in the car showing the interior, showing yeah. the different options, showing you know, the dashboard. And, and the experience is quite similar to what you would get if you were actually there. You, maybe you, don't, feel, you don't feel the seats. You, don't, you, know, you can't put your hands on the steering wheel. But it's pretty close. And a year ago, I don't know how they would have done that. So I think as we as we make progress, we're able to close that gap as soon as possible, as much as possible. And over time, more and more use cases will be transferred over to the online. And, and there's huge efficiencies that are gained by that. Um, in financial services, for example, filling out forms, you know, getting signature on forms, doing that with a co-browsing solution is incredibly easy. And it's just like, you know, when you're in person and you need to sign a document and someone hands you the document and says, you know, sign right over here, that's very easy. Mm-hmm. When someone sends you an attachment, an email, or even a DocuSign, it starts to become more and more difficult. And the chances that you won't sign it increase, right? It's, it's nowhere near that experience of someone putting a piece of paper in front of you and saying, you know, putting an X and saying, sign right, right at the X. Well, with co-browsing, you can literally do the same thing. So um, if I were a financial advisor and you were my client, I could drag and drop a document onto your screen and I could scroll down for you and I could highlight with my mouse, I can highlight the signature field and then you could sign it, hmm. right? So, so being able to bring that in-person experience to a virtual uh, video chat or text chat is just going to make things easier and easier. And therefore we will move more and more use cases to the virtual world. So imagine when you can actually smell the car and feel the seats and uh, understand other senses that are happening attached to that. Right. Yeah. Maybe it will be, I, I just read this morning that um, Facebook announced their third generation of, of the, VR headset and Apple have yeah. an, are announcing theirs now. Um, yeah, I I don't doubt that it will go there. Um, yeah, it's coming. Hopefully, we're not just you know sitting in an armchair and hooked up to hooked up to all these systems and not moving anymore. 
Yeah, I, I mean, if if everything with COVID got extended in another couple of years, we might be right. I mean, yeah. it, it's uh, it's scary. It's it's absolutely scary thinking of people not leaving their home for human interaction. Um, and so, what you guys are doing to push the blend is is so important. Um, and I and I understand why it's the company you chose to take over the reins, which I I want to come back to that for a second on and taking over the reins because people don't realize that taking over um, a company. I know you didn't take it over directly from the founder. There's been a couple transitions since, but but taking over a company as CEO from the last CEO, who in many cases was the founder and some is not, um, is uh, is really hard sometimes because there's. There's uh there's no there's not real trust within the organization if you're not promoted from within you're 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 new to the table there's a lot there's all new people and and um you've got a board in so many cases so many different factors right and so was there um was there any point um in taking over the reins any inflection point in the first ninety days let's call it that you just really remember um starting to hit your stride um, and it might've been after the first 90 days, but really starting to hit your stride with the team and, and build uh, trusting relationships, strong relationships with the employees, customers, and stakeholders. Yeah, there, there are a number of things come to mind. So um, I was, I very much, I, I started on the 12th of December. So halfway through December and it was very important for me to begin before the holidays because I, I wanted to start the year fresh. Um, I didn't, the, the last thing I wanted was to begin like on, you know, middle of January and then kind of Q1 is done before you can really get, get started. Yeah. So I, I started in the middle of, of, uh, December, uh, on, on day one where I was, where everyone heard about me joining, um, I held, uh, all hands where my goal was to be as transparent as possible. And that continues to be one of the key objectives for me to continuously be very transparent about everything when it comes to sharing with employees. And, you know, we're a small team, so it's relatively easy to do. Um, and then on my second week, so I started on, on a Tuesday, um, the next Monday I was in our office in England. So um, three quarters of our team are in England and it's not in London. It's in a small town called Macclesfield, which is about half an hour out of uh, south of uh, Manchester, so it's it's a little bit it's a little bit kind of a uh, uh, country, hmm. and um, it wasn't obvious to the team that I would be there, you know, in my second week, and it was less than a week before Christmas. Um, but I, I made it a, made a point of getting out there and spending the entire week with the team there, and I think that went a long way, especially because the prior CEO. Um, was was on the, in the role for almost two years and only visited once. Wow! So I've I've since been there almost every month, and getting out there so quickly and spending time with people and you know having one on ones with every single person on the team I think went a long way. Um, so that was that was one thing. Um, also, getting in front of the customers as soon as possible was was probably the key thing for me. And obviously, I'm not doing it on my own. I'm doing it with the relevant account manager or the relevant, you know, the product owner, and and sometimes with the engineering team. And by sort of being in the trenches with them very early on, mm-hmm. and you know, not coming in with ego and asking a lot of questions and listening, and I think I think that went a long way as well. 
Yeah, I'm sure it I'm sure it did. And and other hopefully other CEOs, new CEOs are listening into some of those things because um building trust and establishing those strong relationships early is is so important. Um you know, I, I know unfortunately you've also had to do other things like you're you know, not every other CEO does, which is you've had to cut costs in some cases. Um how 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 are you able to do that but still continue uh, maintaining the the trust from the team and and still build the culture and the value system that you wanted to build there. Yeah, it's it's not easy. So luckily, I haven't had to let go of many people. We had a number of of um, outsourced uh, contractors, engineering, QA. Um, so that was the first place where we started looking at whether we want to cut cost, and we also had a bunch of. Um, software, various subscriptions, and office space. There, were, there was a lot of efficiency opportunities. So, yeah. so that was that was pretty straightforward. And actually, one of that six months in, looking back, one of my takeaways is that I should have been um, more aggressive. And this is a little bit counter counterintuitive. I think I I should have dug more into the details and not relied on on what I think, like what I'm assuming or what people are telling me. I should have gone. You know, again, we're a smaller company with just over 30 people when I joined. Um, I shouldn't have relied on what people are saying. I should have gone through the credit card statements and, and literally gone row by row to ensure and, and ask for every single row, do we, need, do we need to be spending money on this right now? So you know, I did that a little bit later, you know, four or five months in, and that was a mistake. I should have done that in my first month. Um, but uh, how, how do you, to your question, how do you... Um, ensure that people are all on board with the plan. I think it's just the transparency. Um, we set very clear targets. We implemented um, an OKR framework. So, and, and that's all available. All the, we, we moved everything from, um, crazy, crazy to say in 2023, but everything was on, on Microsoft Office with like locally stored documents. And we also had Google, the Google system in parallel, but we, we moved everything onto Google. Everything is available for everyone. Um, all the tracking, all the KPIs, uh, our OKR framework, it's all available for everyone in the company. We have an all hands every month. And um, keeping that transparency, I think it, it makes it very clear to everyone why we're doing everything that we're doing. There's no, there's no question why we need to cut costs when the burn rate is too high to, to be sustainable. So I, I think that's pretty straightforward, but, but really be really be extreme, overly transparent, I think is, is critical. And I think anytime you're not, then, then, you know, people start questioning what you're doing, but I, I'm really putting everything in, everything I can is, is out there. And I'm also always happy to discuss one-on-one -on -one with anyone that has questions and that, and people have taken me up on that offer and I've had a lot of one-on-ones. Excellent. What, what, um, what are some other pain points that um, that you experienced as you uh, as you had leadership in one country and majority of the workforce in another? Yeah, there, there was definitely a lot of distrust. Um, we have cut back on the leadership. So even before I joined, the, it was it was a much more extreme situation where there was a small group of of um, you know, highly paid leaders in the U.S. and then 
the entire engineering team, other than the leader of the engineering team, was in the UK. Um, so today, it's it's a much it's a much flatter organization, mm-hmm. and we're also smaller. So again, it makes it easier. Um, but it's it's still it's still not easy. I mean, it's I, I don't want to give the impression that everything is perfect, right? We still we still are are challenged with the fact that we're across two different regions. We we make use of tools like Slack a lot more than we used to. Um, there was a culture, and again, for me, it was very odd because it was reminiscent of things I saw 10 years or more earlier. But there was this culture of sending really long internal emails that we put a stop to that. And now it's all Slack. It's all now. I'm very much a proponent of doing, if we have an issue, let's talk about it right now. Um, and over-indexing on many informal conversation and minimizing as much as possible the formal kind of you know big conference calls with you know many people spending their time i'm okay. counting the people multiplying to figure out how many how many work days are we wasting on a call if there's 10 people on for an hour that's you know that's 10 hours worth of resources so right. i'm very much trying to avoid that and and instead you know pick up the phone have a quick phone call or Slack. Um, maybe have two people on a Slack message. Um, so, so that's. I think that's helped. Um, also, we're fortunate to some extent that we have many of the people in the company have been here for a long time. So a, bun- a bunch of people have been with the company for six, seven, ten years, and they very much feel. I, I think they very much feel like it's their own, even though they're just you know they're employees, but they feel like they're part of the founding team and that makes my job a lot easier because yeah. there people aren't looking for what their motivation is they it's very much inherent in, in, in how they how they approach the job yeah so it sounds like you made a lot of progress obviously a lot a lot a lot still to go but um it's that's always the case so it's uh it's great to hear about some of the success you guys are having um I want to hop into our, our founder five right now. So five quick hit questions all about you and your growth and, uh, and obviously the, uh, the company's growth as well. So the first one is the top metric or KPI that you are relentlessly focused on. Yeah. So I have to say ARR because that's just the AR is the most important one. Um, we do track probably about half a dozen that are, that are equal, almost equally as important, but ARs for sure that would help. Okay. All right. Top tip for growth stage founders like yourself. So obvious one, but focus on the customer and get in front of your customers as much as possible. That's where you learn the most. That's where you uncover opportunities. Um, don't anything else that you do, I think is, is secondary in priority after meeting with customers. Yeah. All right. Favorite book or podcast that's helped you to grow as a founder? Over the past year, I've tried, I've, I've, uh, I listen to books um, when I go running and I've probably listened to two dozen books after not so much being into business books prior to this past year. And I can't say that I, I, I've really benefited a lot. I like, I like the hard thing about hard things. I know that's it's one that many people see value in, 
um, it's good for me to just reinforce things that I already know. And it sometimes reminds me and kind of triggers like, okay, I, I should do that right now kind of thing. Um, so I've, I've listened to that book a couple of times and I, I like it. I also like the, the style. Um, so I'll go with that, but I can't say that there's one that's really been eye opening and, and changed the way I approach or, or very strong recommendation for others. All right. Then we're going to have to say the hard thing about hard things. And, uh, secondary was the dirt podcast. <laughs> yes. Um, so I've, I've, I actually, I told you before, I, I, I've heard a few of your episodes. Um, I wasn't familiar with it. So you need to work a little bit on your, on your growth marketing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, but, um, um, I, I do, I do find these types of, of informal conversations to be incredibly valuable. And, and I, I definitely benefited from, from listening to a few of your chats. Excellent. Great to hear. Um, all right. Next one, a piece of advice that counters traditional wisdom. So I mentioned before how I, I'm kicking myself a little bit for not having dug into the details as much in the, in, in the initial few weeks at V24. I think a lot of what you, what you read in the books or what you hear in recommendations is, you know, trust people and don't micromanage. And I'm, I'm certainly not encouraging anyone to micromanage, but I, I do think, especially when it's a smaller company, um, don't assume things are fine. And, and the best real example I can give that I've experienced over the past six months is I should have on in my first week gone through an exercise where I, I literally would question, I should have questioned every single expense that we have in the company. Why do we spend this much? Can we live without it? Can we pause for six months and reevaluate then? Um, but the, the more I push that off, the I'm paying the price for that today because it's cash that we, we could use today. So that's, to me, it's crystal clear that I made a big mistake by not not doing that six months ago. Yeah, that's good. All right, what is going to be the title of your autobiography? <laughs> um, I hope I hope that it will be something to the effect of uh, took risks that paid off. Um, I. Something that my wife um, questions all the time. She asks, "Is it worth? Is it worth it? Why don't you, you know, take a higher-paying, cushier job? You know, go be, go be VP sales at a larger company, kind of thing." And um, I, I believe she's wrong, but time will tell. So hopefully, I have that. That autobiography is what I'm envisioning and what she's envisioning. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, I think all entrepreneurs struggled to a degree um, with their partners who are oftentimes right and oftentimes a good balance to us. But uh, the level of uh, the level of risk, maybe not always so keen to take on. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, I look forward. I look forward to you proving her wrong on this one on this one. <laughs> I'm sure she's usually Thanks. right. Of course. (laughs) All right. Awesome. You've given so much to our listeners today. Uh, Time for a little bit of self-promotion. How can those listening help you out? So um, visit our website, v24.com. So it's v-e-e-2-4.com. We are, so we've, we've been 
over the past 10 plus years, we've been successful helping B2C companies. So the large retailers, automotive, financial services, we've been incredibly successful there. I have a hypothesis that any B2B company can benefit from our services as well, just like we use our own our own tool on our own website. Once we switched, when I joined, we weren't using our own technology, which you know oh. drove me drove me nuts. And yeah. once we switched it on, we increased the inbound leads by by five x. Just because people see, uh, you can if you go to our website on the bottom right, you have a this moving GIF of Hannah from our team going like this and going like click here, and if you click on it, then then um, you would have the opportunity to start a video chat or a text chat with someone from our team, or if it's off hours, um, book book a meeting. I think the fact that almost every single B2B company has a contact us form where you expect your prospect to leave their email address and then, and then a BDR or SDR will contact them and qualify them. And um, then uh, an account executive will schedule a meeting. It's just such a antiquated flow workflow that makes absolutely no sense. Someone's on mm-hmm. your site. They want to engage with you very likely right now. Give them that opportunity. So um, we, we are actually... Um, in order, so we've signed up our first couple of B2B customers over the past two months. And um, in order to encourage that adoption, we're, we're offering this r- really, really attractive package, which is only 500 bucks a month to get started. Um, and um, hopefully that's a low enough bar so that any company can do it. Um, obviously, you need to have at least a couple of people who are available to answer the calls that are coming in. But um, any B2B company that has a contact form should consider whether they want their prospects who are on their website right now to have the opportunity to connect with their team right now. And um, V24 is a really good way to do it. So if anyone's interested, um, reach out to us and we'd love to have a conversation. Excellent. And what's the best way for listeners to get in touch with you? Um, so of course you can email me, uh, tomer at v24.com. You can go to our website and begin a, a video chat with someone from our team, including myself potentially, um, at, at any point in time between morning hours in the UK and late afternoon hours here in the East Coast. And um, you can also uh, follow us on LinkedIn. That's probably where we're most active in terms of uh, posting content and and engaging. Uh, we have We have a monthly webinar that's posted on there. And, and a newsletter as well. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, thanks for joining us, Tomer. If you found value in this conversation today, please take a moment to post about it on social and tag us and Tomer. And uh, this helps us to grow our audiences. Tomer said that we definitely need help doing. So um, remember, the journey can be tough, but there's always value in the dirt. Thank you for joining us. Take care. If you love today's episode of The Dirt, Make sure you rate it on your favorite platform. And if you really liked us, go ahead and leave us an honest review. Thanks again for tuning in to The Dirt.